1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. I thank God, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed to me. Oh, sorry. (laughs) And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Thank you. All right. Well, we are a few weeks now into our study in First Timothy. I'm curious, uh, how many of you guys have had a chance to go and watch some of those Bible Project videos? Anybody? Yeah? Sweet. Uh, there are a few Bible Project videos that they did on New Testament letters. I highly recommend you look at them. It just kind of sets how the letters are composed and developed and where they come from. It's really good just backstory. Um, and then the other thing is, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, these are letters and not meant to necessarily be parsed out like we are, but like read in entirety. Has anybody had a chance to sit down and read First Timothy all the way through? Good. Let's try it this week. I encourage you guys. Just read all the way through. It's really short. It's only a couple pages in your Bible. Read all the way through it. It's a, it's a good practice. It's meant to be read all, to, all together, and you'll start to notice the arc of the letter in a different way than just piece by piece as we're doing it on Sundays. So this is how we have to do it to study because it'd be a lot to try to go through the whole book. But as a practice, it's good habit to read through, especially a letter, right? Read them all the way through. So as I said a few weeks ago, First Timothy is, we're going to look at some very practical ways of living out the things that we've been studying now for months as we went through the Apostles' Creed. First Timothy is about how to live in the household of God, how to, how to live as a member of God's household. And so it's very practical. This book is very like hands-on, tangible. It's dealing with like real life issues. Not that the rest of the New Testament isn't, but this one in particular is very like, very practical. And some, I mean, sometimes actually I've heard people mention 1 Timothy when you read through Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy or Titus, the pastoral epistles that people actually sometimes feel like these are handbooks for people in ministry that not necessarily apply to me. I really encourage you to just take another look and, and read through it. it. It all, all of scripture is useful. It's good, good for you. All right. 
So yeah, it's a we're reading a letter. We're reading somebody's letter. Paul wrote a letter to somebody named Timothy. And so that's what we're studying here. This is a letter. With any letter, there's backstory and backdrop that you don't necessarily get in just a simple reading of the text. And so last week, Brent Brent went through uh, 2 verse 11, 2 to 11, and set some of the backdrop, sort of the charge for why is Paul writing this letter? Why is Paul addressing Timothy? What's going on? Evidently, Paul has sent Timothy or left Timothy in Ephesus and is uh, sent him there to deal with a bit of a mess. There's some false teaching that's happened and developed and some false teachers there, and something has gone terribly wrong. Paul spent a long time, two, three years, in Ephesus, and he knew these people pretty well. In fact, he calls out two people by name at the end of our passage today that were shipwrecking their faith. He says, it's pretty harsh, right? I handed them over to Satan. He knew these people probably pretty well. He spent years doing ministry with them. And he sends Timothy, his beloved son in the Lord, to clean up this mess and to confront head-on this false teaching. And then as you're reading through, this is, this is that like reading through this, this whole chunk, it almost feels like Paul gets distracted, a little like squirrel, you know, the dog, like, oh. It's almost like he mentions the gospel and then he goes on to this tangent where he starts telling his story. It's like he gets distracted from, he starts off with some pretty clear instructions, some pretty clear, like, Timothy, I'm charging you to do this and confront the false teaching and do this and then the gospel, and then he just kind of goes off into the story. He's being very direct, and then he comes to this in accordance with the gospel. And then he launches into this personal story, his, his story with God. I actually don't think that this was on accident. This isn't like a, a tangent. I think this is very intentional that Paul is going and appealing to his personal story with God to give confidence to Timothy. His goal here is to strengthen Timothy for something that's hard. He's got to confront these entrenched false teachers that are entrenched in this church. And it's, this is going to be a difficult work. And to give confidence, to strengthen Timothy, he knows that the best thing he can do is to appeal to his own story. See, Paul knows that we as, as people, as, as humans, we are story-formed people. Stories form who we are. Stories are powerful. They shape us. They, they help create who we are and how we think. I found this quote this week. This is, this is actually by a guy who's written a lot of comic books, a lot of comic book stories. He says, storytelling is powerful because it has the ability, ability to touch human beings at the most personal level. While facts are viewed from a lens of a microscope, stories are viewed from the lens of the soul. Stories address us on every level. 
They speak to the mind, the body, the emotions, the spirit, and the will. In a story, a person can identify with situations he or she has never been in. The individual's imagination is unlocked to dream what was previously unimaginable. Paul knows that the best possible way he could infuse courage into Timothy is with story. Paul's trying to encourage him. He's trying to deal with this situation. So he recounts some of his own personal story with God, his history with God, to solidify this point with Timothy. I think actually this is a model for us in discipleship. As, as we're discipling others, as we're ministering to others, as Paul is with Timothy, if we can engage their story, our story, use our story, look at where God has showed up. I think actually this is a way that we should read the Bible. Eugene Peterson, uh, the author of The Message, Translation, paraphrase of the Bible. He said, the stories are the most prominent biblical way of helping us to see ourselves in God's story, which always gets around to the story of God making and saving us. Stories, in contrast to abstract statements of truth, tease us into becoming participants with what is being said. We find ourselves involved in the action. We start as spectators or critics even. But if the story is good and the Bible stories are very good, we find ourselves no longer just listening but inhabiting the story. Isn't that, isn't that good? We know this is true. If you, if you have kids and you watch movies with your kids, you know this is true, <laughs> right? It's, my kids, if we watch a watch an action movie or like a superhero movie, inevitably, I am the bad guy and they are all the heroes. Anybody else or is it just our household? Okay. Yep. It's Ninja Turtles or whatever it is. This is why in the Old Testament, I think God introduces himself. He says, I, I'm the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He recalls the story. It brings up the narrative of the history. These stories that have been told of who God is and how he acted on behalf of these patriarchs, it defined who God was. It shaped a people. It shaped the way they thought about the world, the way they thought about themselves, and the way they thought about their mission on the earth. This story of how God interacted with the patriarchs. This is why so much of the scripture is, is in the form of narrative. So much of the scripture, even the parts that we call law, a lot of it is narrative. The reason is because we are story-formed people. Story has a way of shaping who we are. This is why we use fables to teach principles to our kids. This is why Jesus used parables to tell stories and, and break down complicated uh, biblical truths even. Or to conceal biblical truths, however it was going. And yet, for some reason, 
When we sit down across the table and have coffee with somebody, we want to just get to the facts. <laughs> we want to just like, I don't want, I don't care about the story. Just tell me what happened. Like, tell me the truth. I think there's something we can learn here that when Paul is trying to infuse courage into Timothy, he recounts his story. I think there's something to that. I think this is, it reminded me of Paul in 1 Corinthians. Um, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Or later on in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he tells Timothy, and what you have heard from me in my presence of many witnesses and entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's pass on this truth. Tell the story. Let's look at how he tells his story because I think it's really important to actually take a, a look at how Paul does this. Let's look at verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. He goes on, he says, this is a trustworthy saying, worthy uh, and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. A couple things I, I noticed this week in studying this passage. When telling his story, Paul is brutally honest about his shortcomings. He says, I'm a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. I'm ignorant in unbelief. That's, this is who he was. Paul says that he was the chief of sinners, the worst of worst. <laughs> I think some of us would probably think, okay, gosh, Paul, like, calm down a little bit. Like, you're being a little hard on yourself. If he's writing this today, I think we might suggest that he, like, does some work on his self-esteem. Think about all the good things that you've accomplished, Paul. Come on. You loved God. You meant well. But no, Paul calls a spade a spade. He's brutally honest when he's telling his story with his shortcomings and where he has failed. He says, I was a blasphemer. What is it for you? What is it for us? What is it that we, in, in telling our story, of how you found Jesus, where you are today. What is it for you? We're all sinners. That's Paul's point. If Jesus can do this for me, he can do it for you. There is nothing too far gone. That's Paul's point. That's why he calls himself the chief of sinners, the worst of the worst. 
I was thinking about this. Yesterday was, was 9-11. I'm sure a lot of us, 20 years, right? We're, a lot of us were thinking about the Twin Towers and all of that that happened. Paul was a terrorist. If we're like to categorize him, he, he led the charge in a campaign of murder and terror on the early church. Yet Jesus in his grace and his mercy called him, redeemed him, taught him his ways and is using him powerfully. Paul does not try to go back and paint a pretty picture of his past. He doesn't try to like cover it up. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't put forward like that Instagram version of his life. He's really clear with brutal honesty of where he's come from. I think in our witness, you guys, in our ability to engage the lost, the dying, the hurting in our city, if we were brutally honest with where we've failed, with our shortcomings and our need for the grace, I think we would gain a lot of ground. But if we put forward this like Instagram perfect, we've got our stuff together, they've, they've, they've heard that, they've seen that, they don't need that. I don't need that. I need to know that you guys <laughs> have stuff too. I'm not the only one, right? Now this doesn't mean that we should be self-deprecating and constantly belittling ourselves and looking down on ourselves. Clearly, like God has redeemed us and grace and mercy and given us power and, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to, to move past our past move forward. The point here is to be honest and open when you're telling your story. Be transparent with your shortcomings. If we are an honest, if we are honest about our sin, if we're honest about our past, it leaves room for the grace of God, for the mercy of God to work through that into other people's lives. second thing that stood out to me is when Paul is telling his story, who's the hero? Jesus is through and through 100% the hero of his story. So often when we tell our, our testimony or our story of, of how things happened, somehow we end up the hero of our story as if we accomplish something great. We're way too quick to do this, even when we read the Bible. I think the classic example of this, the famous one, is David and Goliath. I don't know how many sermons we've heard taught on like, you're David, go slay your giant that's in front of you. And we read ourselves into there as if we're the hero of that story. This is the, the, the honest part, right? If we're honest, and we're thinking about that story, where are we? At best, we're, we're the children of Israel hiding. At worst, we're the Philistines cheering on the champion. Like if you're honestly trying to put yourself in, the, in that story, in that narrative, we're not David, Jesus is David. 
Jesus is our champion that destroys the giant. He's the hero of our story. Paul consistently points the story back to Jesus. How many times? Verse 12, I thank him who has, already, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, because he judged me faithful. He appointed me to his service. The whole thing is pointing back to what God did, what Jesus did through him. So much so that it actually leads him to break out in worship. Verse 17. He ends up in this, this doxology is what the proper term for it. But he ends up in this little outburst of worship, closing out his story. He says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Does the way we tell our stories, does the way you talk about your life, your history, does it provoke people to worship? Does it provoke you to worship? Or does it make you look good? Or does it make you look bad? It should cause, this is what, what when Paul is telling his story, it provokes worship out of him. It actually it, like it bubbles up as he, he can't help himself. He, he busts out in this, this phrase. Does our story provoke worship? And then it's fascinating in, the, in this, our section today, Paul shifts from telling his story to then reminding Timothy of his story. And then also the story of these two false teachers. Let's read it. Verse 18, this charge I entrust to you. So he's going back to what he started in verse 3, charging Timothy. Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, and by them you may, wa- you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting these, faith and good conscience, some have made shipwrecks of their faith, among whom are Hymenus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. That's pretty intense, Paul. Paul reminds Timothy of what God has done through Timothy, what God has done in Timothy's life so far. He says, remember the prophecies. Remember the things that God has done in your life and the things that God has spoken that he will continue to do in your life. Remember those things. Paul says, hold faith and good conscience. And by those things, remembering what God has done and faith and good conscience, by those things, Paul says, wage war. Hold the faith. And apparently these two guys 
had rejected these things. They'd forgot God. They'd forgot what God had done in their life. And therefore, they had shipwrecked their faith. These guys were likely leaders in the church. I said earlier, Paul probably knew these gentlemen. And he calls them out by name that they are destroying their faith. They have destroyed their faith. And he says, learn from their story, Timothy. Learn from what they have done. Take courage. He's all with the intent of encouraging Timothy. But for Timothy, remember, remember what God has done. Remember. Don't forget. Remind everybody else. Don't shipwreck your faith because you have lost faith and you have lost good conscience. You've forgotten what God has done. The question for us today, what is your story? What's your story? And what has and what is God doing right now in your life? I've been thinking through, Naomi and I have these, we, we call them like the, the fingerprints of God through our history these times where we've known that God has shown up and shown himself as faithful and consistent. And when things get hard, when things get tough, when, we, when we're questioning what we're doing, we have this story with God, this, this history with God that we can go back to and remember, oh yeah, God is faithful. God is kind. He always provides. He shows up. Remember when he did this? Remember when he did that? Remember how he showed up when we had need here, when we were hurting here, when we needed friends here? Whatever it is, he, we have a story with God, and we can trust because of that story that he will be faithful. Our story provides confidence for us in how we make decisions and how we see the world, how we live in light of uh, the faith that they provide. We've seen the Lord shown faithful over and over. And so we make a practice of, in the present, looking for what we call the fingerprints of God. We look for where is God, what is he doing now? Where is he showing up? That's where I want to be. <laughs> I want to be where God is. I want to be doing what God's doing. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. What is he doing? How can we partner with him? That's actually, the, there's an ancient practice called praying the examine. Anybody ever heard of this? Praying the examine. And for centuries, uh, this goes back to like Ignatius. Um, Christians have ended their day or their week or a season with this practice called the examine. And essentially, it's, it's praying. It's a, it's a guided way of praying and reflecting. It's praying like this. God, these are the things that I am grateful for in this past day or, 
or in this past week or this past season, thanking God for what has happened in the last day. Praying this, God, this is, I actually make a habit of practicing these specific prayers. God, show me where I partnered with you today. So at the end of the day, reflecting on your day, God, where did I partner with you today? Or where did I ignore you today? How did I ignore the leading of the Holy Spirit today? And then that leads to the, the next, the obvious one. How can I do better tomorrow? Help me do better tomorrow. This, this practice has been done for a long time. It's well worth looking at. So as disciples of Jesus, you guys, we are story-formed people. We are formed by the story of Scripture, this meta-narrative of God's story of redemption. We have the stories of Scripture to always go back to, to remind us of the character of God, the nature of God, of who He is, what He's like, how He interacts with His people. We have the scriptures to point us forward, to give us wisdom and how to act, how to live, how to make decisions. But we also have each other. We're in a family, a community of God, the household of God. That's what Timothy's about. And as a community, we can look to each other's stories. We should know each other's stories. My Story of hist- and history with God, my private victories can become yours. That's the power of story when we get to know each other. We can look to each other's stories to build our faith, to encourage us to move on. And then we have our own story. You personally have a story, a history with God. It might be pretty fresh. It might be really long. How long have you been with Jesus? You have a story. Build a history with God. Build a story. Recall the faithfulness of God over and over in your life. Think about it often. Tell the story. Tell your kids, God was faithful here. He showed up. He responded. We had need. We prayed. God responded. Tell the testimony, the goodness of God in your own personal life. I want to encourage you to make a habit of asking people their story. When you meet somebody new, it's a simple thing. Tell me your story. Where did you come from? How did you get here? Tell me your story. There is so much to be learned and gained and strengthened in each other's lives by knowing and seeing the story of God's faithfulness in somebody else. When we hear somebody else's story, we have an opportunity to learn what the good news, what the gospel is. Even even an unbeliever you meet an unbeliever, somebody, a coworker, or something f- for the first time. Without hearing their story, it's hard to know what 
good news is to them. Take a second. Tell me your story. How'd you get here? <laughs> what what's what brought you what brought you to this this place this time now? Because in knowing that you can you can sort of exegete, this is a term that we'd use from scripture, their story to know how to effectively, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, obviously he's got to lead, bring the gospel to them. How much more effective would the gospel witness be if we knew the other person's story, if we engaged them at that level? Let's be quick to listen, even slow to speak. Let's engage our neighbors. Listen, learn people's stories. And then let's speak the story of God over them, to them. Let's tell the story. Guys, we have the most compelling story. The story of redemption is the story that defines all other stories. They're all just trying to it's all like remakes, trying to mimic our story. It's the story that all other stories are trying to tell. We have the story of creation and of paradise and of paradise lost. The story of tragic loss, of broken relationships. Story of promise and of a people who've been chosen to represent a king to draw people to him. We have a story of heartbreak after heartbreak as those who are called as representatives fail over and over and over again. And ultimately, we have a story of redemption and rescue as, as our king, our prince, lays his life down to rescue his bride. We have a king who conquers a beast. And we have a new world, a new creation beyond your comprehension. That's the story that the scriptures tell. We have the most compelling story. Let's learn it and tell it. And then ultimately, we play a part in that story. You have a role to play. You're a player in the act. It's unfolding right now, and you have a part to play. God is choosing, wants to use you. Amen? I'm going to pray. The worship team come back up. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and what you've accomplished. God, we thank you for this great story that we're a part of and that we have examples and people like Paul and Timothy and John and all of these stories in the scripture to fan the flame of what you've spoken and are doing in our life. God, we, we ask that you would help us to see your hand in our lives, your part in our story. That as we talk about you, as we talk about our story, we would provoke worship in ourselves and in those around us. 
as we tell of the gospel that it would provoke doxology, it would provoke worship. Jesus, we love and we bless you. Amen.